Good morning. I just want to encourage you guys. I want to, if you get if I give you something that's revelation new to you, amazing. If it transforms your life, perfect. But really, I want to encourage you guys to walk in the ways of the Lord. And if if that's all that I do today, then my job is more than complete. If you feel encouraged to be closer to God after today. Um, so just jumping right in, the title of my message is actually a picture. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that picture floating around. <laughs> Jesus kind of popping around the corner. It says, I saw that. It kind of, a, I don't know, has, have you guys seen that before floating around? Um, a, a bunch of buddies of mine started this probably 10 years ago. Whenever somebody would, well, frankly, kind of do something stupid, we would text each other that picture. And like Jesus was like, I saw what you did, you know, you, you're standing there next to your buddy, and you hear him maybe have a slip of the tongue, say something dumb, shoot him a text. And I, I thought it's a funny thing for us. Like it's a joke between us. And but I started to think about that. I, I really feel like that picture, even though it's fun and, and it's you know humorous for us, but it really falls under the the stigma that God pops around a corner when you do something bad. And he's 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 behind the wall the whole time and and so when you do something bad, he just kind of he pops out and he's like, I saw what you just did. And I think what that does is it really puts you in a place of living in condemnation. It puts you in a place of living like God sees your sins and he sees your faults, but he doesn't see you the rest of the time. There is no wall that God's behind, that Jesus is behind. That, that veil was torn with the cross. He now is everywhere. He's in you. He's there's no hiding from him. There's no doing anything that he doesn't see. And that includes your dreams, your aspirations, your, your needs, your wants, the things that you, you really inspire for in life. He sees all those things. He doesn't just see you when you sin. He doesn't just pop out from behind a wall. And so really wanting to encourage you today that God sees you and he really, really deeply cares for you, for your dreams, for your struggles, for your dreams and your goals. You know, really this sermon kind of came out of some things that me and Hannah were struggling with. And we learned how to pray and we learned how to receive from God. We really have been walking this path out for the last couple of months and finding ourselves in a place of how do we receive the things we want from God? The healings, the, the victories in our life, the, the prosperity, the things that we really wanna see in our life. How do we, how does that happen? Because we were just, we were, felt like we were beating our head against a wall for some of these things. You know, you would just, you'd wake up and, and you're believing in healing an area and you just, just stand firm and you just keep speaking to that thing nonstop over and over. And it was like, I felt like I was starting to wear out with that kind of thought. And so God, I believe, started to do something new in us. And this message should inspire you and encourage you to do three things. This is the point of our message. To recognize and identify your needs. To trust God cares for them more than you ever could. And, that, and you can trust in him by getting to know him more intimately. Those are the three things that we're going to focus on. Recognizing, identifying what you need, trusting that he cares about them, 
and getting to know him more intimately. A couple months back, this is really where it started. A couple months back, I was struggling with some sickness and and this isn't like a, this wasn't a big terminal thing. This was, this was just like a head cold, guys. <laughs> like it was, but it was like three, four days. I was living in a fog, and I was just starting to get annoyed by it. And so I was like, okay, well, it's come to this, and now I got to pray. So <laughs> I've taken all the Alka-Seltzer I could take. I'm about to OD on that. So now I'm going to pray about this. So why not go there first? I know, I know. But so I'm praying to God about it, and I'm I'm asking him to heal me because I can't live in this fog anymore. And, and I'm just kind of spending time with God in, in, in healing prayer. And he tells me to focus on his stripes on his back. And so, of course, the first thing I do is I run to the word because I want to make sure that he actually has stripes on his back still. I don't want to be like, like speaking an anti-word. Like, hey, God told me to have, you know, God told me to focus on the stripes on his back and then there's a scripture in the word where it says like he has no stripes on his back or something like that. So I started looking into the word to make sure it actually lined up because, you know, you get some things in your head pop in and I just want to encourage you guys, take it to the word, seek somebody wise, figure it out. If it's not in the word, then kind of write that off for a moment because there's like little words that pop into your head. It could be your, your human nature, your really desires that are telling you. So take it to the word, find out what the word says. But so there was nothing that like said it wasn't. I mean, we know he had the scars because he showed Thomas his, his scars on his, on his wrist and his feet. And so we know that. But, um, you know, in Revelations, John says, I, I saw a vision of a man that looked like a lamb who was slain. And so that's the, the image of Jesus from the cross. And so there's, there are some word in the, the Bible that, that give us insight that he still probably has scars on his back. And we've all seen a show or something where somebody takes off their shirt and they've been whipped and they're just, their back's just full of scars. And so I started focusing, I started walking through this journey with Jesus and he started walking me through the scars on his back. And he was pointing out little details of his scars and it started to break me down really, really bad because I was like, man, you did that and I'm not receiving your healing. He started walking me through where maybe a whip came over his shoulder and, and cut himself on it, maybe his collarbone, and he had this little scar, or this scar was fractured off here. They said he beat him, they whipped him 39 times, 40 would have been death, and they couldn't have crucified him. So he has a little scar here, or this scar here, and he starts to walk me through, and he says, hey, that scar right there, that's for the time that I healed you 15, 20 years ago from migraines. And he says that, remember when you had that back pain, you could barely walk? See, that scar is for this. And, and, and he started to walk me through, and I started to focus so closely on the details of Christ's scars that I started to feel healing come over me that moment. And it started to really speak life to me that my faith was in the healing and not the healer. And I was focusing more on what I was wanting and not who I needed. And so it started to change something the way we started to pray, the way we started to receive from God. And I want to turn, to, if you have a Bible or a laptop. I know I'm already like five minutes into my sermon. I haven't even opened a, a scripture verse yet. <laughs> um, Matthew 6, 28, 33. If you have a Bible, laptop, tablet, widget, digit, I don't know what they even have anymore nowadays. <laughs> Whatever you have, turn to Matthew 6, 28, 33. 
Are we up there? Are we ready to go? All right. And, the, and why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. I'm, we're going to come back to that here in a moment, but that's a very interesting statement that he throws in there. So why do you worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. That statement thrown right in the middle of there of, of uh, you of little faith really kind of stands out to me as you're reading through this passage of Jesus talking to his disciples about worrying and going after the things of this world. And he, he says that you have little faith in chapter 30, but he's not saying you have little faith because you have a need. He's not saying you have little faith even because you don't have these things. He's saying you have little faith following it up by the pagans run after these things. He's saying that they, this, is the, this is the focal point of the pagans. This is the focal point of unbelievers. The things of this world are the focal point of this world. And then he says, but if you turn your eyes to me and focus on my righteousness, you will have all these things. See, it's not little faith to need these things. See, God is so amazing, he even addresses it. He says, the Father knows you need these things. He sees you, he cares about you. He cares about your needs. But what are you focusing on? Are you running after it, making that the focal point of your life, the things you need or the things you want? Or, or are you, you know, you, you ever see that person who's, you know, that hashtag, living my best life. Everybody's out there, you know, living it up, doing what they want to do, enjoying their own thing. See, Jesus shows us what big faith looks like. Big faith looks like this. Believe that he already knows in chapter 32 and seek him first and watch what he can give you. See, he's good and he recognizes your need and we can, we can, we wanna, we wanna see him, we wanna recognize him. We need clothes, we need drink, we need something to eat, we need to see it. But if, we're look, if our needs are over here and Jesus is over here and we're looking at our needs, see, Jesus isn't where your needs typically are at because he lacks nothing. Jesus is never in lack. God is never in lack. So your needs are usually here, and Jesus is right here. And you can be looking at your needs, your, your freedoms, the things that you want in life. And you can be looking at them and be like, even your dreams and good things, health for your family, prosperity over your life, good things. And you can be looking at them and be like, I want you. I'm going to have you. I'm going to have you. I want you. And Jesus is over here, and he's just wanting to have you look at him and say, I need you. I need you. I need you, and it would be amazing what happens when you're looking here and looking at Jesus and being like, I need you, I need you, how close those needs that you want start to come in. Yeah. See, it's about where we're putting our focus. Have you ever needed something, wanted something, healing, prosperity, financial breakthrough, or just a dream, and you want it so bad, you try to muster up your, your faith, you try to get all stirred up, and you try to get, we did once, 
we were we were buying our first house and and we went to buy it and we we uh, it was our the first house we had ever purchased and we went in we loved the house we went to put an offer on it and we found out we had um, somebody stole our credit identity theft I'm sorry identity theft and our my credit was like 400 and I'm like and so okay well God told us this is the house we're taking so we just stood on it we believed on it we even went over and anointed the house with oil and really stood we stopped looking at other houses this was back in 2006 we stopped looking at other houses anointed the house with oil believed on it and then guess what happened we didn't get the house it got sold before we got our credit problem fixed we were able to turn our credit around because we were able to prove identity theft they took it off our record it shot back up and we bought another house i don't know what to do with that stuff but we put so much effort on that house we didn't even seek what god was telling us we just said well this is obviously an attack and we went in there so we were trying to muster up our faith to get that thing but i have come to realize in my life that i cannot have enough faith in healing to be healed i have to have faith in the healer i have come to realize i cannot have enough faith in prosperity to be wealthy i have to have faith in the provider I have come to realize that I cannot have enough faith in freedom to be set free. I have to have faith in the son who sets me free. And then I can be free indeed, like in John 8, 36. See, I don't think the issue when he's talking to his disciples about lack of faith, and we'll read one more scripture where he says, I don't think the issue is lack of faith. I think the issue is where we're putting our lack of faith or our faith. So instead of, the outcome, instead of putting our hopes and our dreams in the outcome, we have to be putting them in God. But instead, we try to use our circumstances, the things that go well in life, we try to use that as an indicator of how much God loves us and that we're in right standing. If I just have this, I will know God loves me. Instead of turning to his word and saying, God loves me, and it's because he loves me, I can have this. See, we ha see how we've gotten them backwards? If, if, I got, if I get blessed with this, then I can rest assured that I'm in right standing with God. Instead of knowing that I'm in right standing with God because of what Jesus did, and then I can have this because he loves me, and he's a good, good father. Amen. See, I heard a pastor say that if you have faith in God and not the outcome, if you have faith in the outcome, disappointment can rule the day. I don't have faith in an outcome. Never do. I have faith in God. And I trust that he's a good father. So you don't, you don't need a miracle to know God loves you. You need his word because he says it. You know the word, the word of God? We, we, we saw the same day, we saw the Jesus revolution, and they opened up every sermon. They would hold up their Bible. My kids wanted me to do that, but I was like, I don't even have a Bible. <laughs> I haven't read out of an actual Bible for a long time. It's all digital almost the time for me. Um, but they would hold it up and they would say, this is the word, and the word is life. And the word of God is God-breathed. And so if you're finding yourself in a place of like, I don't know if God loves me because I don't have this, the word says he loves you. It's God-breathed. And you know what the breath of God does, right? It breathed life into man's lungs. You have lungs that are full of breath, full of air, because of God's love for man. 
And because if you rest on that and you dwell on that, you will know that he loves you, not because of your circumstances. That is not a base for God's love. What you're going through right now, if you're struggling with something, if you're battling something, that's not a base of God's love. He loves you regardless of what that is. And you continue to sit in that love and this need will submit to the spirit because your soul will have to be in line with your spirit over time and then your body will have to be in line with your soul. But it takes time sometimes. See, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm kind of speaking, it feels like I might be speaking kind of like anti-miracles and anti-good things. That is not who I am, not for one second. But I have a foundation of Christ that lives inside of me. Matter of fact, I believe miracles are gonna really be a key thing to turn this world around. We're gonna have to start seeing the manifestation of the spirit and miracles happen and the world's gonna start to recognize the God we serve. But I don't believe we get those miracles without Jesus being the focus of our attention. Because it's not the miracles, it is the one who provides the miracles that we seek. And then it's the manifestation that the world sees and they turn to Jesus. I was super excited. Um, if I didn't mention it earlier, I'm actually in uh, Karis Bible College. Um, your pastor is actually a teacher there. So one more thing that we have in common. We did, we went to Wealth Builders, Matt. We did real estate. Uh, we both love the Lord and have a huge heart for Pueblo. He teaches at Karis and I started going to Karis. And if you know Pastor Mike, then you probably follow Andrew Womack at some point. And I was in a class, somebody does. I was in a class of his a while back and it was called the 10 Essentials of Leadership. And I'm excited about that because I love leadership training. I love learning different uh, systems and, and team building and how am I gonna be a good leader. And, the very, and so I'm like, Andrew's a perfect person to teach this. Well, the very first thing he talks about, number one essential out of the 10 essentials was relationship with God. And I was like, boo, I didn't want that. I wanted some system. I wanted like a, how do I, how do I, you know, how do I get this going? How do I get this train going? And he's like, have a relationship with God. I'm like, okay, well, that was boring. Let's, you know, on to the next one. But it, it starts to speak into what I'm going through in my life when I sit and I actually pay attention to it. First Corinthians, I didn't give this to you guys because this was just some of his highlights out of that teaching. Uh, First Corinthians 11.1 1 says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. He says, great followers make the best leaders. When you're a great follower of Christ, he says, most leadership comes out of relationship and that starts with your relationship with God. He says, your relationship with God is more important than all things that you can do all things that you have done and all things that you want to do. It, it comes down to your relationship with God. And you can put that next one up, Revelations 2, 2 through 4. This is what he taught out of. This is uh, a letter to the church of Ephesus. And this was Jesus giving it to the angel. And the angel comes down, starting up in 2, and he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And I know you cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. 
that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Our first love. There's worship songs about our first love. So when Andrew's teaching this, he is teaching about, look at all these things that this church at Ephesus was doing well. Look at all these things that they were doing good. But Jesus says, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. See, it's about that relationship with God. You can do all the works, you can do all the things, you can go after all the good things in this life, but have you left your first love? A pastor, the pastor at our church was preaching a sermon about knowing God. Remember the three things that we're gonna be focusing on is that recognizing, identifying your needs. So I hope you've evaluated some of those things even as we're talking. Number two was trusting that he cares about him more than you do. And number three was getting to know him so intimately that you can release those needs right back into his hands. Our pastor was preaching about a sermon about knowing God back in November, and he was preaching out of 1 John 2, 12 through 14. I believe I sent that to you guys, if you can pop that up. He says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his namesake, and I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. This was on a Sunday he preached this. He was preaching about knowing God. And he said, I want a house full of fathers. And I was kind of sitting taking notes, and I'm, it really sat on me. I was like, what is this? Like fully understanding. I was trying to grasp what this was meaning. Well, that was on a Sunday. Next Saturday, I'm in school. And Greg Moore starts to teach. And wouldn't you know what he was teaching on? Knowing God, even out of the same exact scripture. So we spent two hours opening up this scripture and what that means. And I, was, I even text um, the pastor and I said, I said he, he set the groundwork and Greg Moore from uh, Karis just opened it wide up for me. And it really started to transform my mind into a deeper level of maturity as a believer. He's talking about children are forgiven the sins and washed away, and they love God because of his grace and mercy. That's a baby Christian. That's a new Christian who just got saved, and they are just, the love of God is just flooding them. You been there before? Do you remember that? Do you remember turning your life to God and that moment of just love just overflows you, and you have no other logical response except to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? says the children love God for this. Young men, again, this is not talking about young physically, this is spiritual maturity. Young men are focused on the benefits of the work and they have, and they have the drive, the motivation, the zeal to carry out the work of the Lord. This is that next stage. You get saved and then you start to get excited and you start going out there and doing the work of the Lord I think about in Luke 10, 17, where he sent out the 72 and they came back all excited and they were like, the demons listen to us. We cast them out and they listen to us. I think about those, those are young men. Those are, those are middle stage Christians who are just on fire for the Lord and have zeal to go out there and do the work of the Lord. But then he talks about fathers, the highest level of maturity, spiritual maturity, are focused on knowing and remaining in the knowing of Christ. Those, those 72 that he sent out and they came back, they came back excited. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said, don't rejoice that the demons listen to you. He said, rejoice that your name is written in eternity. So it's a knowing God 
to knowing God deeper, not just what I can do for him, not what he can do for me, not the things of this earth, not casting out demons, not getting all zeal and excited. It's about knowing him and remaining in his knowing. What does that look like? Can I get teachy for one minute? Not so preachy. Is that okay? I promise I'll get back to preachy in a minute. I always struggle like this, like teachy and preachy moment. <laughs> um, the English language does really, really bad at breaking down words translation from the Bible. Have you guys ever heard the, the term, like they knew each other in the biblical sense? You guys ever heard that? Like that, you know that, you know that comes from the actual Bible. Like I won't go into for kids in here, I won't go into what they're talking about, but if you've heard that, we know each other in the biblical sense. That comes out of Genesis 4.1 where it says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived a child. Adam knew Eve and she conceived a child. That word is actually yada in the Hebrew. Yada in the Hebrew for certainty, for sure, of surety, have understanding. That's the Hebrew in the Old Testament. The Greek equivalent is genosko, to know absolute, absolutely, to be aware, feel, and to be sure to understand. So Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament, when it says fathers know him who was from the beginning, it's genosko. If you go back to the Old Testament in Hebrew, where it says Adam knew her, it's not talking sexual terms. It's talking a, the most deep level of intimacy you could ever imagine in this life. A matter of fact, in John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they might know God. The deepest, eternal, eternal life is knowing God at the deepest level of intimacy that you could ever wrap your head around. So, understanding the closer we know God, spiritual maturity, moving down that chain from being born again to being full of zeal. I'm not saying you don't lose your zeal, but you move into a place of knowing God and remaining in that knowing. Higher level of maturity. Higher level of spiritual maturity. Go to Matthew. This is another one where he says that you have little faith. Matthew 16, 5 through 12. The first, first four verses of this, it's the um, Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to Jesus and asking him to perform miracles. They're saying, send a sign from heaven. And he said, you don't need a sign from heaven. You can read all of this, but you don't need a sign from heaven to know. You need to know that I am who I am. So, when his so then he says, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. So the, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees were pressuring Jesus to do signs and miracles, those are the earthly things, those are the manifestations of the Spirit. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring the bread. I absolutely love this chapter, guys, because this is, this is so me. If I was a disciple, like 100% me, because I, I get on the natural like that. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring the bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began to discuss amongst themselves, we brought no bread. That would be me. Jesus is trying to teach you something. You're trying to get wise counsel and you're just focused on the natural. You're like, we didn't bring any bread and he knows it and he's mad. <laughs> you know, like, 
Like, that's me, 100%. I would go there so fast. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourself the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not, or he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of Pharisees and Sadducees. See, it's not about the bread. It's never about the bread. Not in the kingdom of heaven. It's never about the natural. It's always about the spiritual. He the natural will flow out of the spiritual if we let it. What he was telling them is because if you read one through four and due to timing, I didn't put it all in there, they were pressuring him to do a miracle on earth. Puff up. Let's see it. Prove it. Prove who you are. Prove you love me. I love you because my word says I love you. Not because of a miracle that I'm going to perform. He's going to perform the miracle because he loves you and you've drawn into his love. Just like Pastor Mike was talking about during um, communion, it's already done. He's waiting for you to respond into it, not him to do it. It's already done. We respond to him and he does the work. But it's where we focus our eyes. It's where it's the focal point of us. It's not about the bread. It's not about the works. It's about Jesus and knowing him intimately. And when you truly know him, Genosco, know him. Deepest level of intimacy you could ever have. You will be able to release that trust, release that wants, release your dreams into him and watch what he can do with them. I'm up at uh, five in the morning to do school, Monday through Thursday, and I'm up making my coffee one morning and standing in my kitchen, pouring my creamer in my coffee. Don't judge me if you drink black coffee. I like creamer. <laughs> so I'm pouring my coffee in my creamer, and I, I hear that I'm a, it says, you're a Pharisee. And I'm like, what the heck? I just feel, I don't hear it audibly. You know, you just hear those things, and I'm like, well, obviously that's not God. That's not, like that's, and I start rebuking that word. You know, I start like, oh, God's not coming at me all condemnation like that get out of here devil and so I go and sit down I open up my laptop and I start getting ready for the word and and to teach and I hear it again you're a Pharisee and I so I put my cup down I said what are you saying like who's saying this first off so I'm trying to identify this voice and I I start to pray and how am I a Pharisee I'm in Bible college I mean I'm doing all these things at the church I'm serving I'm having people into my house how am I a Pharisee And he says, when's the last time you sat with me? And I was like, oh, this is a word from God. So I took a moment. (laughs) So then it made me think back to when I was making my coffee, I rebuked God. (laughs) So I was like looking around for a minute, like hoping something didn't strike me. But it says, when's the last time you sat with me? You get up, you get your coffee, you go to two hours of school, and you run around and you just, I actually stopped my, 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 um, my study for the full hour study, and I just sat in the presence of God. And I just prayed. And prayer didn't look like me talking to him the whole time. Prayer just looked like me sitting in his presence, starting off with a thank you, Lord, for the gifts you've given me. Thank you what you've already provided me. 
I know you have greater things to me, but thank you so much for being my Lord. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that I get to know you more. And I sat there and it changed my next study. I got more done that day than I have been able to accomplish in the days prior because I had gotten into such a routine of just studying the word, I forgot to know God. I forgot to get close to God. So remember your needs. You, you, I think it's pretty easy to identify the needs, right? That's, a, that's the easy one. Out of the three things, we're gonna identify our needs. We're gonna trust God cares for him more than we ever could. And we're gonna draw close to him and know his heart to be able to release those things. It's, a work, it's kind of a working backwards, you guys. I'm in real estate, I do real estate, and they, you always work backwards and coming up with an offer for a house. How much could this house sell for? How much do I have to put into it? Tells me what I have to offer. You don't work on an offer and then figure out how much you have to put into it and then figure out that you sold it for less than what you had into it. You work backwards. It's the same way with God. If I know him intimately, I know I, he, I can trust that he cares for my needs more than I ever could, and then my needs are met. See how that works? But we're, such, we're, we're like the disciples with the bread, and we go to the natural so fast. So I want to ask you guys, in closing here, I want to ask you guys. Twice we read scripture where it says, you have little faith. And it was in the middle of the disciples focusing on the natural. Do you have big enough faith? The big kind of faith. The next time you need healing from sickness, breakthrough from addiction, release of financial blessings, power or peace over worry, joy over sadness, or just your dreams and aspirations. Do you have big enough faith to run to God first? Do I have big enough faith to go to him and not even ask for these things? Do I have big enough faith to sit in his presence for an hour and just worship him? Before I try to, cr- before I try to scream out so loud that I actually get his attention to come around the corner like that picture at the beginning. He knows you need him. You don't need to cry so loud that he comes around the corner and sees him. He knows, he knows, he sees you, he knows, he knows, he knows. Do you have big enough faith to know that he knows and that you can put your wants and your dreams in his hand? I've done it before, guys. I've taken steps of faith and I've put my trust and my dreams in his hand and I've cringed when I was doing it. I was, and I just, and I turned around and I was like, whoa. He cared for that more than I ever could. He did greater things with it than I ever could when I just gave him, gave it over to him and I just would go after him. So do you have big enough faith like that? That's the kind of big faith we need. We need a city full of fathers, a city full of mature Christians that walk in the knowing of God, intimacy with God. Because if you have intimacy with God, the manifestation's gonna follow. I'm telling you guys, it's gonna follow. And when the manifestations start to follow, the world is going to see it. They can't help it because it's manifesting. It's manifesting what's in the heavenly into the earthly, and now we have the ability to do things. I can honestly say, guys, I can honestly tell you this. Every single time I've had the biggest breakthrough in my life was not when I went after the things that I wanted breakthrough for. I had the biggest breakthrough when I would go after God. It's not to say I'd reject those things. It's not to say I don't even ask him for those things, but my first focus is on God. 
My first focus, my focal point is on Jesus, on the word. Spending time with him in worship. Spending time with him in prayer. Spending time in his presence. And watching my needs be met indirectly is amazing. Because I was tired of bashing my head against a wall, trying to overcome things. I want to leave you with this scripture. This is out of Proverbs 21, 21, out of the Passion Translation. Me and Mike had a little fun moment of the, talking about different translations. I don't use the Passion Translation as much as I probably should because it's, it's really good. But Proverbs 21, 21 says, The lovers of God who chase after righteousness will find all their dreams come true, an abundant life drenched with favor and a fountain that overflows with satisfaction. Are you a lover of God? Do you chase after righteousness? Because if you do that first, guys, I can stand here with all the confidence in my life that says God will meet those needs. God will bring favor into your life, a fountain that overflows when we seek first the righteousness of God and actually get to know him intimately. So get to know God a a little bit closer today. I want to encourage you to that. That's what I want to encourage you in. Get to know him intimately. And when you do, you will trust that he cares for it more than you do. And your needs will be met because he cares, guys. He cares so deeply for you. When I had that revelation of how much he cares for me, things began to open up in our life. Things began to open up. Things started to break free. Processes as I closed started to happen. Healing started to happen. So I just want to encourage you guys as I close today. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Mike again. But uh, I want to encourage you guys today just to seek your heart. Seek your heart and say, Do, am I going after God and his knowledge? Pastor Mike, you can come on.